Hello, and welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. I am speaking in the metronome time. Yes, the metronome time. Hello, Matt, John, and Steve. It's the Crash Chords Podcast. You get the gist. Wow. That was... I felt like I was listening to Sheldon. From from Big Bang Theory? Yeah, he did that once. Did he really? I think so. Did he? I missed it? Yes, he did do that. Well, metronome time. Yes. Okay. I would like to know what, what time like I was in, but I'll find that later. You'll double check. And You're then right. probably put the time in over. Don't you tell me what I'm going to do. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you're going to do. You're kind Don't of You dare tell me what I'm going to do. Um, another week, another I'll podcast. Um, we're back from our turkey day, and amidst still Hanukkah, tonight is the sixth night as we are recording. So happy Hanukkah. Uh, this is the first time in like 300 years or some BS that they've fallen exactly together. Huh. Supposedly. So we're all going to join hands and sing Kumbaya, right? That's one of the Hanukkah songs now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it falls on Christmas, that's, right? That's like, it'll fall on Christmas at some point. Like, the uh, the last day of Hanukkah or is it something no, like that? I'm not sure. No. Hanukkah, today's the sixth day of Hanukkah. There are only two days left. It fell on Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. So it, it never falls near Christmas, does it? Yeah, it usually it does. It usually it actually based as close to Christmas. Oh, okay. I thought that's what you're talking about. Never mind. You're not Jewish. Never mind. So you can't. So I wouldn't. So I I can't know calendars. Yeah, the same way like, the Jews you do. <laughs> you can't go the twenty fifth. Right. Oh, that's that day. Hey, Matt, what year is it in 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 Jew Jew time? I have no idea what Jewish year it is. It's like five thousand something. I know that much. Five thousand. No, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, might be in the four thousands. I knew it. I knew it. He knew it. <laughs> it might be in the four thousands. Um, also, I I I wonderfully rewatched Eddie Izzard recently. Which Dress one? to Kill. Oh, yeah. Still amazing. Even though I've seen it like 50 times. I was just watching Eddie Izzard clips, at least. Climbing up trees, climbing up trees, and putting on makeup while you're up there. His breakdown of the English language always oh, is it's like the awesome. right thing. Well, yeah, right it's time. the... What was it? It's it's 70% how you sound. Um, it's 70% how you sound, 20% how you look, 10% what you say. That's right. I was talking about the, um, the split between... American English and and English English. Yeah. And uh, oh, and it says yeah, breaking can, down the different words. Well, yeah, we and he's pronounce... like, oh, well, I'm with you on the word through though, because you spell it T H R U and we spell it thruff. <laughs> <laughs> well, stuff. yeah, that's good the stuff. same. That's the same special. Here he goes, and you say herbs and we say herbs because there's an effing H in it. <laughs> that's right. We're just gonna quote him all day. There's really no podcast today. We're just gonna quote it, Izzard. Um, in fact, we'll I went to Boston for Thanksgiving. Um, oh, you'll actually you'll appreciate this, Steve. Boston. Sarah's niece made her first pun, and it was quite <gasps> funny. What did you, she say? We were in a sushi restaurant, and we keep saying, "Do you got you know to, to to her nephew and niece? Do you guys want edamame?" And she goes, "Edamame, a daddy." <laughs> See, she's gonna be great someday. I'm yeah. telling you, she's gonna be on the stage. Everyone's gonna love her. That's it, still better than most of your puns, Steve. Uh, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably so. Um. But I know my audience. <laughs> that's enough of that. Why don't we get into this week's of choice of album? All right. This week, my choice is Mark Kozalek and his cover album released earlier this year called Like Rats. Now, I chose this album 
as an answer to Matt's recent choice in episode 65, Everlast, The Life Acoustic, because at the time it was the only acoustic we'd done. And this is the probably pure acoustic than that. At least there's no organ. I remember there was no organ in that point. There yeah, was there a, were other instruments. Yeah, so it wasn't completely acoustic. This is... Probably the only bit of uh, add-on here is that he's doubling himself. Marcos like does double his no. own vocals. Maracas. Just to keep a time signature in some of those songs. He oh, that's right. right. There was there were maracas. So. There was some kind of shakers. <laughs> I thought I might have heard a tambourine at some point, but probably at least maracas. There was a minor percussion for sure. In any case, uh, going back to the life acoustic, I remember that we sort of panned that album. That wasn't too long ago, but it was primarily because John and I felt it was sort of thin. And soon that developed into a discussion on how much you can do with so little. And that was the same with uh, last week's album, the Decord album. We talked about minimalism and so forth. So I wanted to pick an artist who I thought packed a powerful punch acoustically and lyrically. At least who I felt thought. And I thought back to this guy, Mark Kozilek, who my old roommate introduced me several years back uh, by first exposing me to him, in fact, at a concert in Williamsburg, which was really more of a recital than anything else. It was a small hall, there was like folding chairs, quiet atmosphere, uh, and just a guy and his guitar. Can't get any more acoustic than that. I think I was a little bit too young at the time to appreciate his music fully, but my roommate loved it, and I knew I enjoyed it, and I had this immediate sense that it was a very mature sound, sort of advanced, tempered guitar technique, full of longing, reflective, heartfelt lyrics. And uh, after all, the guy is in his 40s, I should say that, so maybe it has something to do with being reflective and semi-autobiographical. And he had two very renowned, or pretty renowned bands under his belt at that time, uh, Red House Painters and Sun Kill Moon, both pretty big in the whole folk shoegaze and slowcore genres that I discussed back in episode 43 with Lowe. Uh, in fact, the two lead singers, Alan Sparhawk and Kozilek, are very good friends. So since that time, I've grown to sort of appreciate his music. But the one thing here is that today's album, like Rats, which just features Mark Kozilek solo, no other band, is a cover album. So I had my reservations about picking it because I knew the lyrics themselves would not be his which might defeat the purpose of my choice, but then again, when I heard the songs he was covering, I had to dive in for curiosity's sake alone. So here we are, Like Rats. Though it is not our first cover album. No, no, um, Everlast album was pseudo-covering himself, and then, of course, you know, our more popular cover album, Walk Off the Earth, was what the selection that Joe had brought us was a collection of covers as well as the EP, <clears throat> because we didn't have a full album at the time to judge by them, so we went with their covers. Gotcha. So those are really our only two cover albums we've done to date. Right. So this is the first acoustic cover album, right? I guess. But we did a, yeah. a, a acoustic album with an acoustic a full with band. Uh, well, Everlast was acoustic covering himself. Right. Yeah. And Walk Off the Earth, there was a little more instrumentation, although there were some acoustic songs, like one of their most impressive, impress, impressive ones, "Somebody I Used to Know," which is all of them playing on the one acoustic guitar, different right. parts of it, which. So what? Talking about using a guitar differently. Exactly. That's like the one of the pinnacles. Well, that's just it. I think it's all about when you rate a cover uh, album, you have to rate it slightly differently because it's about the songs that you choose, uh, first of all, and what kind of an arc they form altogether, and uh, how you choose to do them. Whether you're changing up a particular emotion or you're emphasizing one emotion right. perhaps more than the original. And this is why I was just too interested to do this, because as of the first track, I realized that a lot of these original songs uh, were bizarrely off the wall. They, like, nothing I ever could have imagined based purely on, on Mark Kozilek's version alone. I found with covers, there are kind of two major kinds of covers. They either fall into the group of 
drastically different mate to make and make it your own or an homage and yes. it's very similar because you just want to pay homage to the original and perform it yourself. Exactly. Like, and uh, then sometimes it's both. You, like, you pay an homage by being drastically different. Right. But like, uh, oh, but what I'm saying is like the straight cover. No. Right. Or, That's a good example. But, well, or, that always had kind of the same pep though. For no, instance. that was the homage. Yeah. That. But Plain White Tees did an homage version of Blur's song 2 by pretty much just playing it exactly the same. It's just, hey, with the Plain White Tees, we love this song, we want to play it. Exactly. Which, you know, is... is, is you know, great in its own right, at least for the band. I mean, and if you like the song, you if you like the song, the original, you'll like that cover if it doesn't change. I hate that cover. That was a terrible. You cover. don't even know the cover I'm talking about. Song two. No, you don't know the cover version. You said it was the same exact thing, so thus I like Blur's version better. <laughs> anyway, um, well, some things. They, some things about Mark Kozilek here. He. I, I guess suppose some people would see him as a fairly dour individual, at least in terms of the types of songs he sing, sang, uh, sings, and both bands that he was in, again, somewhat depressing tracks. They are, Red Hot Painters almost borders on ambient in a certain uh, field, but it's that slow coreness that really, you're borrowing from the roots of, of grunge, uh, that really make it... Um, kind of depressing to listen to but it's the autobiographical nature you're hearing him and something that could only come from his mouth well yeah and a lot of grunge music was super depressing i mean you look at exactly. alice in chains and nirvana i don't think you'd name Pearl a genre Jam. that if it wasn't depressing right well and grunge is a good starting point on explaining what he did here because there's a lot of punk and it's almost as if the grunge idea is the aspect that he took these some sometimes very heavy punk songs and brought them down to something that was the the in several cases the emotionally similar yet the opposite side of the coin let's uh yeah, that's dive. what we get for instance with the very first track i that's spelled the letter i not i e y e yes i as in the self <laughs> um, this, this became a sort of an anthem style slowcore singing I don't know. It's I, I did get that anthem feel, but it was kind of it was very hard to really put on it. It was very melodic and beautiful. It was an interesting <clears throat> choice for an intro track. Um, for, from right off, right out of the gate with this first track, you get the finger picking that you're going to have throughout the entire record that Mark Kozilek seems to specialize in. It's very soft and often, and it may not you know go places. For instance, the rest of the record, but once he settles in a groove, he sticks with it, and it, it actually does a pretty good job, at least for me, as uh, painting a picture. It, even if it's not a picture per se, it's just a mood—the mood that you're going to be in for the rest of the track—and it serves well in these snapshots. Very early on in most tracks, he conveys the emotional state that the track is going to represent. Very early, there's no track. In fact, I can safely say there's no track on this record. That halfway through the track you go, oh, he's trying to tell us something different. Pretty much from second one, you know the emotionality of the track. <laughs> exactly. And just to uh, talk a bit about the, the song he borrowed from, which was um, I by Bad Brains. Uh, I, I realized immediately, of course, that's a very heavy punk track. It's um, stark contrast. It was a very muffled, angry, kind of dirty singing. Early punk, you know, early 80s punk. The, the thing I noticed was that the lyrics... While, of course, I had heard Mark Kozilek's version first, the lyrics, you know, are very apparent. You can hear clearly what he's saying uh, in, Mark's, in Mark Kozilek's version, but then you go back to the punk track, and I just can't hear anything. So it was kind of a shame that you didn't get that in the original track. It almost is kind of strange to me why they would write lyrics like these if they weren't meant to be heard. Well, At least out of the studio version, it sounds live. Me me meant to be heard is objective-ish. 
because yeah. I mean a fan of punk or specifically that song is going to listen to it over and over again. Eventually, you're going to pick up all the lyrics. That's for you, someone who a doesn't typically listen to a lot of punk, and b only listened to that track maybe once or twice. You didn't pick up the lyrics. Well, no, I listened to it a few times actually. I, I was kind of drawn in by the originals because I was trying to sort of get into Mark Kozlek's mind as to why this was a choice. For instance, it could be a personal favorite, or it could be. Um, it could be just something that he came across and well, thought this would be very interesting to sing acoustic. I mean, it, it's funny. The album, track by track, lends to both theories. There's no really clear one theory or the other. Because That's half of it point. half of it is clearly he's a fan of punk and grunge because there's a bunch. You know, punk or metal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's got to be at least the right. But punk, grunge, metal. there's also a good chunk of songs that are pop or country and other stuff. Yeah. So, so it could just be, it could be both. There's many cases where, no matter what it is, it's kind of a shocker, though, in, yeah. in terms of uh, the flip that he makes here. Um, specifically with the lyrics here, I think when you consider uh, the the poetry within this, like I'll just read the first stanza. Not as much, not as much, but with such intensity. I'd like to be what they would not want me to be. I like to cram their chivalry inside their guns. I'd like to leave it all behind with the rest of the nuts. It's kind of the way it was sung in the original track was such that, almost like uh, the Ramon style, you know, yeah. where everything is really, really super fast paced, but even that on steroids, so much that it's it was it was Ramones on screamo. Yeah, it, they were better, very much, high pitch, much better descriptor. <laughs> very high pitch, very hard to understand. Yes, this one, he he has he has great inflection, and I will say this up front: his vocals are not really amazing. He he doesn't have a very broad range. He's not a. It really, to be honest, doesn't sound like he's a an amazing singer. He has great control over his voice. I would, as opposed to a great range and great power. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna infer what you mean, even though I disagree with the great singer thing. Because by simply saying great singer, it implies that well, you need like an operatic voice in order to be a great singer. There are plenty of singers that have done great things with what they have. But I do kind of see what you mean about range. Like, he's not going to be all over the place. I think easily, uh, in terms of similarly ranged singers we've listened to, that Darryl, Darren Charles had a much better voice um, in terms of what he was able to do, I suppose. Well, yeah, well, the moment. difference is also that this singer, Mark Kozilek, is very more along the lines of a Bob Dylan, Rob Thomas, these artists who sing in a very specific way and don't yes. really Beck. divert from it. Beck. Beck is a probably you know, the lead singer of Blur, Damien yeah. from Blur. These all, all these singers have very specific voices. All right, that's prob that's a that good don't um, don't diverge much. I mean, you hear Bob Dylan, you know it's him because and his range isn't huge. Well, I'll go nearly there, but not quite because okay. I did actually hear some variations of the course of it. I I could see how people could lump them in lump him into uh, sort of this one set, this one state of mind, this groove because that goes with the whole dour attitude. I mean, everything is so nostalgic. He's always speaking very softly, very close to the microphone. Everything is... is. It almost sounds like the ends of certain phrases are a little bit muffled, or as if it's a trail off, like he yeah. lost the breath with which to, to deliver. Yeah. But it seems more that that's not, you know, like he actually lost his breath, but that that's, that's an artistic choice to uh, which is what I'm saying about his, con his control. His vocal controls are where he shines. Right, and that's where I, I agree with you. So, um, yeah, in terms of emotional inflection, I think that's where his voice really shines. And um, uh, it, it's very well paired with his guitar. Uh, his, uh, I, I, I will say that I have heard better acoustic guitar work, but it is very suited 
to what he's singing and how he's singing it. Right. Uh, he doesn't want to go fancy, so he doesn't go fancy. And I respect that artistic choice. Yeah. It's just that at times, and I will say with I and with the next track like Rats, I just was just starting to get a little, not not really bored, just starting to wander when listening to the guitar work. I mean, I could see that, and especially when I think back to the uh, the one concert that I saw him in that my that my old room, uh, roommate uh, brought me to. I remember thinking almost somewhat of the same thing. Like, I remember thinking, okay, this is, as I said earlier, I, I remember thinking this was clearly a very mature sound, a very mature type of uh, um, type of acoustic style. And yet at the same time, maturity doesn't always equal good. At least it didn't to me back then, but maybe I've just grown to like it since then. It's almost like he just rambles on sometimes with the guitar. I mean, he does have some... some, some well, there I disagree with you blatantly. Because the groove is such that it do, it kind of repeats. It's not something you can't consider rambling if it's nearly the same front to back. For instance, uh, in the in the first track here, uh, I thought that the groove he picked was downright gorgeous, if a little bit eerie in its rawness. And that was something that he did kind of keep between the original version into the cover, was that there's a rawness there, he just doesn't deliver it in the same way. There's rawness, definite rawness, which is one of the, the great things about early 80s punk um, you know, in just getting up there and hashing it out. That's why people uh, develop mosh pits out of uh, most of these things. But his rawness is delivered from that sort of guttural guitar and uh, the finger-picking he does across some uh, of the notes in the upper register. So that, such that the, when he's going between two chords, for instance, uh, primarily in the first track, it's just C minor and A flat major, the voicing between between the individual finger picking breaking down the chords just made my neck hair stand up that was at least my experience with the first track it's um again i think it really comes down to the voicing the voicing is really what makes it for me even if he's not doing something terribly complex or well, prog like well because also with this record it's clear that uh Playstyle wise for the acoustic guitar, he has some tricks, but more or less it's consistent throughout the whole record. There are some variations, but more or less it's a lot of finger picking, not much drumming, and not much variation in it. The huge variation comes from how he sings. I can't. All right, I'll definitely see that. But um, I did note uh, instrumentally, I don't want to omit that as a factor. For no, me no, because of course. The stage that it set was what drew me in. Otherwise, I well, wouldn't it, care about the lyrics. Well, it's a great ba bass level for sure. It's a yeah. bass line to draw you in to help you, to help those lyrics really stand out. Well, that's a good uh, a good segue into the next track, for instance, uh, "Like Rats," which was, um, I believe, it was Godflesh was the original uh, writer for that song, and there's almost no lyrics here. Nearly, almost none. It's like rats, like rats. They breed like rats. It's a very depressing song on a bit more of a worldly level and he does he does turn his uh the continuation of that very similar style guitar picking he, he definitely does a great job of turning it more ominous by throwing in some some really deep chords in the guitars interspersed with with the more higher register picking he was working on a great it created a great discord a great ominous nature in it and added a lot of the complexity that i just didn't see in the first track like rats, definitely. Fair enough. I see what you see. It still didn't take away from the first track for me. Like for the first track was all I needed, but this was a pl great place to go for a second track for me. So the original version of Like Rats was a death metal song. This version, however, 
conveyed the same haunting nature a death metal song would without sounding like death metal. Yeah, I mean, from the moment. moment he started playing, you got this this wash of creepy hauntingness, you know, and the lyrics just because the lyrics there are so few, it pushes that message forward. Yeah, I mean, Godflesh, but Godflesh by comparison was so heavy. I mean, you probably heard a lot of songs like it before. Of course, that's that typical screaming right at the top of your lungs through the mic, such that there's not really a melody per se. It's yeah. just used as sort of this forceful oomph uh, to carry it along. And his take, uh, Kozilek's take here, was taking the few words that there are, which almost are literally just singular words, breeding, stylized, deformity, don't look back, breeding, fade out, lies, deformity. It's almost like a mental breakdown of, of a kind, uh, <clears throat> sort of staring at the world and getting disgusted with it. Yeah. And I, I loved his take on that. Whereas the original version sort of just screamed it right at you. It expressed more anger at the state of the world. This was... More subtle. Exactly. And that's that's what I kind of liked about it. It was, um, you know, just that very soft, speaking it straight out, one word right after the other. I mean, With it's, a lot of emphasis. I mean, it's not about saying which one's better, but I definitely identified with Mark Kozilek's version more. I got an emotional connection. I felt creeped out and haunted. Whereas listening to the original... I mean, it still can. I can see how it would convey the same. It's a thing. But I didn't feel it as much. I did. Okay, that I will say. When we start making the comparisons back and forth, there's only a couple songs on this whole album where I feel like he did not either recapture the original uh, emotion or just enhance it ever so slightly. Uh, most of the time, it felt very similar between the songs. There were and some. I think that that's why similar. most of his. Sh- well, there was only maybe two or three, and we'll get to those, that were an emotional flips. But for the most part, I felt like they were conveying almost the same exact stories. Uh, all right, so since I'm sort of half agreeing with you and half not, because I do feel that that he was going after the same original idea. For instance, that's why you would do a cover in the first place, of course, is you want to achieve sort of a similar end, as, as you said, paying an homage. Um, but that's why I was sort of half... Uh, you know, half the first type of, co- of a cover and half the second type of a cover because in one hand, he's paying an homage and the second hand, he chooses such a different path toward achieving a similar thing. And that's yeah. what I just love about the art form here. In this particular case, I mean, I do agree with you, John, that yes, in some cases, maybe there's he's not really changing it. He's just delivering the same, the same message, but in a different way. But in this particular case, it was straight up, it was straight up a better track. I enjoyed it more uh, because the original... That's another case of there's just so much out there in the world. Yeah. A lot of, it runs together. You hear one screaming track, you've heard another. Maybe I'm just disparaging that uh, that area of music, but it's it's tough to distinguish and and um and really get something fresh and original. At least this yeah. is my experience with listening to that track. Mark Kozlik may not think so based on his choice. Either that, or he took the words and brought them to life, which seems to be what he does best. Even the last line, uh stylized deformity don't look back you were dead from the beginning damn <laughs> that's right but i mean these lyrics are powerful as they were they're, they're more as they were it's about delivery though yeah it, he was able to deliver them in a more powerful way to me mara my experience with this was first hearing the mark kozilek version and it just sure. cut through me like a knife right well especially this song this song was one of the stronger songs on the record for sure right um the next song is the next song we're going to talk about is the third track it's Free For All, originally done by Ted Nugent. This song 
more or less was not changed much, other than less instruments than the original. It was very similar in its guitar work. Its vibe was very much similar to the original Ted Nugent song. And this, this one I'm going to agree with you on. This was a, another uh, attitude increase. It got rid of the ominous feature in Like Rats and really became a little more wholesome, still not the right word, but <laughs> self-proclamation uh, from the first track. It was, yeah. it, was, it was more... Of that, this is about a guy going out there and doing what he does, <laughs> but literally, yeah, playing guitar. But my biggest issue with this song was with the Ted Nugent version because there's drums, because there's bass, because he sings in a different style, and there's solos. The song is a little more engaging. This version, because there were less layers, and he didn't do that much different with it, it felt a bit repetitive to me. I will say that. Taking the meat off the bones on this song, uh, I won't. I won't say that it was better or worse in this right. case. Right, it's just. I it will was say noticeable how this, repetitive it was. I can't. None of these songs will I really be able to actually say is better or worse than its original form. This, I did enjoy it. I liked the attitude it was portraying. I wasn't really getting de- deeply emotionally connected to it, but then again, I wasn't deeply emotionally connected to the original, which I knew previously. It 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 still felt a little bit empty for me it 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 had attitude but i didn't didn't feel like it was being focused enough in any one way uh in in the song itself to to really get a message across well see here this is why reviewing cover albums is sort of a it's sort of an interesting thing because you fall into these little traps like are you supposed to focus on the on the comparisons really really heavily or are you not supposed uh supposed to focus on the comparisons at all I personally think it's a little bit of a split. You do need, and this was emphasized by you earlier, Matt, you do need to take the work for itself, and that's that's absolutely true. I have to say that based on my first experience with this particular work, not knowing very many of these uh, of these original tracks, I was drawn in emotionally just straight up. It has something to do with his tone. It's, it, it's as I said, it has to do with his voicing... Um, his voicing of the chords, for instance, even if there's not too many chords, even if it is a little bit repetitive. I did choose this album sort of as an answer to The Everlast, which is our only other acoustic album comparison. And there was something about the repetition in Everlast's uh, The Life Acoustic that just got to me after a while, or it felt a little bit cliched, and yet there was nothing here that did feel cliched. There was... When when he chose the picture he wanted to paint, I was completely immersed for the remainder of the track. But you didn't feel that this this song at all. You didn't see that repetitiveness with this song specifically. I heard maybe I heard it, but I didn't care. Okay. And this particular, it's funny because last week we were totally on board I, with how we felt. You know, deep chords. Well, that was more obvious repetition, perhaps, than this. At least this, you have the I lyrics that, to focus in on. And maybe that's what I was doing. Maybe, maybe on a subconscious level, I was switching toward the lyrics. I was thinking of that free for all man doing what he's doing and whatnot. I was I was getting lured into his his vocals. You know, what, that's though? where that's where the music I think definitely lacks that refined uh, focus of attitude. I think it's that's where it starts to really wear on me a little bit. In comparison to the original? In both comparison to the original, but as itself. I feel like because it, it does seem to be a little repetitive, I couldn't really focus on the vocals too much. Uh, not that I know the original very well, I just didn't, just couldn't really do so. And, and because of that, I just, I didn't have a lot to focus on the music as well. 
And without that focus, I got the attitude in the inflection. I lost it in everything else. See, All right. for, see, for me, I can see what Steve is saying, and I get that. And I think what you said is important. The part, the bit about that you just didn't notice. And I get that. Because, again, with a lot of the Everlast tracks, I didn't notice how repetitive it was because I was focusing on certain things that did engage me for whatever reason, either emotionally or lyrically or whatever. So I get that. The I fact that you're with so, deep chords. We all have our things. So I think... We've, we've, I had, maybe that's one reason I also pulled this album is because I, I had to show my example of the same exact thing. Of something you know? something made, the other two I often, I often, in probably one of the most critical here of repetition, yes. I'm probably the first to, to point it out and... and it can often turn me away from the track, right. but I wanted to prove that there isn't there. I do have my own examples of. I, I can't go far as to say minimalism. This is not a minimalist no. work. Minimalism again is is perhaps last week's album and perhaps you know stuff that I've mentioned such as uh, Steve Reich. Actually, that's not perhaps. That's legit. In fact, he's hailed as one of the first minimalist writers. This is not about minimalism. It's just no. about doing a little bit, doing more with less. But yes. you won't see it. I do. In this particular case. Especially with regard to uh, to free for all, I will, I will take your point in one area. I'm probably with John in that I don't think the original. I think it was more on par. Like you started to say, Matt, that when you took away, when you started to strip down the elements, that was a little bit too much for you to bear. You preferred yeah. the drums. You preferred all the stuff that was there in for the original technical yeah. version. And having her in it back to back, I. I, I can't agree with you to say that it worsened it for me, but I will say that they're just about the same. Like, no, I can I, enjoy them at about the same exact level. Well, this, is, I, this is not the same case where I think that, uh, such as the previous two cases, where he enhanced in emotion and Well, that's what fruition. I was saying. Is, is it, felt, it only felt a little thin to me because I knew the original so well. And the original had so many other things but great guitar. Right. So the flaw in the, the flaw in this track is that he's not bringing anything to fruition. There's nothing new, yeah. Yeah. But it's still a damn good acoustic take yeah. on a classic rockish tone track. Yeah. I mean, no, I take news. This song's probably not that old. Well, um, 80s, probably? 80s? Oh, okay. Then Ted Nugent, the right I mean, Ted Nugent doesn't, have, as far as I know, hasn't put out new music in a That's while. That's right. 80s, he's also 80s been around is classic for a while. rock now. Yeah. yeah. Mm, a good long while. Yeah. Yes. And there is inflection on his voice here, which I will uh, give him credit for. For instance, um, the whole, when it's said and done, I've had my fun, I can sue anything I bite. And the little, the little lilts that he puts at the end of that phrase, you know, he just goes a little bit higher than usual. These are the little subtleties of variation that really do engage me in right. his work. That's, that, that ties it together for me in many cases, Would, regardless of whether, you know, oh, I'm engaged with the original track or I'm not engaged with the original track. No, no, it's course. just the overall tone here. It's just so soothing to my ear. And, and, you know, speaking of stripped down and differences, our next track is the first time that the original and the this version are so contrastingly different. No. No. <laughs> he disagrees. I disagree. And I know where you're going with this. You say your part. I'll say mine. Okay. And so I'll the next mine. track, the next track is Young Girls, originally done by Bruno Mars, an, uh, a well-known pop. I like artist. Bruce. He's he's a pop artist. I like. He's okay. I haven't loved anything I've heard by by him. I haven't nearly hated it either. But this song, Young Girls, I had not heard until we played it after the fact. I had heard the Mark like version first. The Mark like version sounds very much like a a you know a man who's kind of had enough. He can't break this habit, but yet he keeps going back to it. It sounds like it essentially compares liking younger girls to having a sex having a a, a drug addiction. 
You had made that reference. Uh, yes, that's, that's it's actually exactly what it is. Yeah, and so this they version, are an addiction. This version, I mean, he does some kind of really fun stuff with it, but um, I mean, essentially, his version is is very pretty. It's one of the first times you really notice his him laying himself with the harmonies. They stand out the most in this track. That was the thing that stood that stood out completely in this track for me. The doubling he did on the choruses were uh, emotionally beautiful. He really is doing a great job. He, he self-harmonizes beautifully. You feel this pain that he feels for being stuck in this trap that he can't break no matter how Yet. hard he tries. Yet. The lyrics are still vapid, and I, I, I got to fault him on this. I oh. kind of felt like the lyrics on this song was a little bit too vapid because it really is a kind of a tropey idea to be doing something like this. And I really equate the emotional impact of these two songs to be, uh, to, to these two versions to be extremely similar. Slight variation. I will say that I do prefer an acoustic version of it, because I'm still not heavy into you know repetitive beats. But that's not saying his fingering here is really that experimental or or, or magical or anything like that. It's still just a guy going with a round on a guitar. All right, let me say my piece here for a second. In terms of tropey ideas, I realize we can be a little hypocritical about this from time to time because we're always coming across uh, certain themes. And yeah, I'll say like, okay, it's been done a million times before, but better. And I have got many examples of that, especially even just in the in the albums we've reviewed. Um, especially though, for you, John, to come across and say that this is a tropey idea. It's, it's kind of striking, and this may seem like a strange comparison, but especially compared to like all the, the stuff that we listen to in, in Green Day, and I don't just mean on the Uno Dos Trey albums, it's like, you're probably the most prone to looking at lyrics here uh, than, than me or Matt, although, you know, we have our moments, and today I'm kind of having my moment here. I find it to be a very, very sweet message. Now, granted, Mark Kozlek didn't write it, but it fits his fairly autobiographical tone of perhaps a, you know, middle-aged man looking back. Exactly. And I, like, I hear the addiction there. And that, to me, is not so tropey. At least liking it to an addiction, perhaps, is not so tropey. Of course, the fact that you always go back to him, or the fact, like, yeah, this has been done by many other, but it's the the lyrical choice. I think, I think, okay, in this case, and then, then tropey was definitely... Well, not definitely, but probably not the right term. I just would have... You can do similar songs like this. Same sort of theme work. It's been done before. I've heard songs like this. Of course. To be honest, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the lyrics themselves then. That's exactly where I disagree, and that's what hold, that's what holds them up for me. It, it it's, it's a little bit about the meter, perhaps, that he chooses to sing, which is not so different from Bruno Mars' original version, because that's something we, we should talk about in a minute, is the difference between the two. But at least just the, the straight-up meter here. I spend all my money on a big old fancy car for these bright-eyed honeys. Oh yeah, you know who they are. Keep me up till the sun is high, till the birds start calling my name. I'm addicted and I don't know why. Guess I've always been this way. That it's is... Just, it's sweet. It's, it's But that is not... Too even... sweet. <laughs> that's that's fairly mainstream in its idea and presentation. I accept that, but I, it's emotionally riveting. I I, I feel what I feel this reflective nature in that in the imagery that he's portraying in the first stanza here. It's I not don't. the deepest thing in the world. I don't I don't feel it at all. I really don't because I've heard this a lot of times. I listen to a, a, between the three of us. I listen to the most rap and hip hop, and maybe mm. maybe I'm close to 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 storm on the pop, but. 
I mean, this is not a, a very... It, it, this is not a very gripping presentation for this theme work. It really isn't. Not for me. <laughs> Everything I've been, you say, I'm bad to agree. Like, disagree. I mean, the, I the presentation This is something to me, that really just doesn't evoke anything for me. All right. I'll, I'll tweak this a little bit. Maybe the lyrics themselves. All right. This is not like... like quality quality poetry here and even though it's i don't see it as tropish i do see certain uh predictabilities here for instance um when he goes to the chorus uh yeah you young wild girls you'll be the death of me all you young wild girls no matter what you do yeah you young wild girls i'm listening to it for the first time i know what the line's gonna be i always come back to you i know that's gonna be the line i knew it before i even heard it for the very first time there's predictabilities here and especially in the repetition of of a four uh, four verse chorus um so no it's not breaking any boundaries at the same time there's nothing wrong with it this is a case where i'm going to defend this simple pop track but the issues that i would have though with pop with a pop rendition of this as for instance the bruno mars version is it's about delivery i don't hear the reflecting nature in for instance bruno mars's version and i don't need the big beat to lay it on thick for me with all the the cure the cues of of modern pop music where everything has to be cluttered up this is a solitary reflection and i think he delivered that excellently i don't hear that in the bruno mars version i hear it here to me it's not the best track on this album but it's a sweet thing to listen to and i will i feel reflective i will say that his delivery yes is excellent that's one thing he is excellent at but in the previous songs and in a lot of the future songs, I feel like he chooses to cover more appropriate material, better, higher class of metaphors, higher class of lyrical work, better punctuation in the originals. I think here he Which just he does something. At, at later points in the album. But in this particular case, I feel like you needed something simple and that fits in with the album arc that I'm starting to see here. I, it's I, a bit of a coming age to L. You gotta have one of these. But I, I, and, but I just don't, I don't get it. I, I think this is just a, a little, it's a little bit of a downturn for me. And I don't see the big disparity between Bruno Mars and this version emotionally. I just don't. I feel like maybe it's even, like a five-year difference on that same reflection. Even if it's for like no other re well, no, I don't see reflection at all. Actually, I felt that, uh five-year difference this is very no. abstract but no the way i actually see it was that it's no it's it's not reflective at all in the bruno mars version it actually sounds like it's something he's currently going through which takes away a little bit for me you know you're in the midst of the addiction or you're in the aftermath of the addiction and you're thinking back on it there just seemed to be a little bit more depth with kozilek's version and i say that very very lightly considering uh Considering that the original track needed a beat to keep going, I don't need that for this kind of track. I think you're both very pretty. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think great that, insight, Matt. I was round of applause for that. I think that I'm like, a little bit of brevity. Probably the rest right. of the audience, we we all think you guys could probably go back and forth all night and yes, like yes. us not to. I was okay. so all right, a little brevity. A little brevity. But, uh, but what uh, I will say about young girls before we move on is that I think that Mark Kozilek does something wonderful with it however i also think that bruno mars's version being in the midst of it works for it as well i think it's a versatile set of lyrics though nothing revolutionary essentially i'm saying you're both right there's a okay and that he's the bridge well what it is is you're you're both flipping sides based on mostly based on um taste at that point 
and preference. Whereas for me, I'm looking at it, it's kind of in the middle. I can see why the lyrics are not revolutionary at all. They're not. I've heard Maroon 5 songs that sound just like this, lyrically in intent. However, Bruno Mars delivering it as a uh, vapid pop track in the present makes sense because it's vapid because it's in the moment. He's not sitting with it. And it's, it's something, vapid it's to something him. any guy could be going through at any time. Exactly. So I definitely see your point. Whereas the more Kozlak version, he's older and he's look, singing it as an older man reflecting on this problem he had that he's slowly trying to get through. Hey, or is you know what? I'm going to admit something else. I may be completely wrong on that interpretation. There's every every reason to believe that he's still an older man, still going through this, and that it could be present and it's not reflective at all. Oh no no no! But but no no no! But but it's about his delivery, his delivery, and the way in which he sings. It has that deep nostalgia in it, even if there is no nostalgia. Right. And I just I'm a sucker for it. You got to do what I do, Steve, and just own it. Whatever you say, whatever you think, just own it. No no. Too objective. Don't reset. Too objective. Don't reset. But the point point I'm trying to make is it's a it's it's a it's a an example of versatile lyrics, even if they're not the best in quality or verse. The fact that they're versatile is that they the same lyrics can convey two different semi messages that both work. That and the the basics is. It is very. It's because of its simplicity that you can manipulate it as such. Yes. Well, I'll say once one more thing. From a musical standpoint, again, there's there are two different animals. At least just in that, of course, you already know the 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 tropes of pop music and everything. And here, at least from an acoustic standpoint, he's doing that thing where yes, he plays out the chords and he breaks them down to their components by finger picking them. And it, there's something about the chords that he chooses. He throws in these suspensions. He adds his sevenths and ninths. I don't even care what he's doing. He just brings the song to life in some way. He takes something carefree towards something deeper without all the dose of re- uh, regret and self-pity that goes along with it. I All of this, I, I find. And that's not, that's not something to sneeze at. No, so. for sure not. But, again, I kind of agree with John as far as tracks on the album. It's not the most revolutionary by any means. All it's right, little, so it's for not me, revolutionary. It's, it's me for it's a downturn. It's uh, but it's still in the arc. But I've had plenty of stances where I go, hey, I just like it. It's good. It's not amazing. It's not the best thing ever, but I still like it. I've been there. So it's a valid stance. You can... <laughs> I've been there. I know your pain, man. I know your pain. I'm just saying I, it's... Okay, this is one... The next track is one track I think all three of us will agree on, and that is... The classic 70s pop al- uh, pop song, Right Back Where We Started From. And this is songs that all three of us knew, and all three of us were having very big difficulty picturing where it came from. Uh, it's just a, it's a funny one. It really is a curious one. It's not, I mean, even if you pin down his tastes in as much as uh, a, a punk or grunge and whatnot, yeah, this is really kind of strange. This takes you back to that, that 70s, it's, it's pop for the 70s, not quite disco, but maybe on the brink it, it of... Leans. It's on the brink of that whole variety show era folk and Motown movement further into the 70s, uh, you know, getting all synth- synthed up with more of a driving beat to it. But it's really catchy. The original version is really, really catchy. Of course. Well, yeah. the, the most fascinating thing about, in, in a little pre-comparison, is the original version of Right Back Where We Started From is almost gospel-esque in how it's delivered and how it's supposed to Very... make you feel. It's supposed to build you up, get you going, get yeah, you moving. Gospel. It's this, a pep song. It's a pep this song. This song actually portrays itself as sort of a profound reflection of life and how we just keep repeating the same mistakes and all sorts of theme work with that. And this is really well portrayed 
in the pickings pacing and intensity and this is where i really notice it he has an ability to vary the intensity of his picking that does a great job of controlling the flow of a song yes and this, I agree. this is the first time that really comes forward and it's also the pacing he he has a very good uh deliberation with his choices of chords and i i, I do really really enjoy that I was able to really see it in this one, but I still wasn't really going deep into this song. Well, this is one of those cases where, you know, again, I heard Mark Kozlek's version first. Not, but this time I don't mean that I had not heard the original. I just mean that I heard Mark Kozlek's version first in this listen. I never, ever, ever could have guessed that it was the original. Yeah. You, know, you gotta really have a mind for the original lyrics. And let's face it, even though the original song, yes, it's a pep track, and you know, get right back where you started from. I'm thinking more of the beat than I am lyrics in that track. That I song never was really more carried by how it sounded, yeah. not what was said. So when I discovered that this was that, I was like, holy crap, what has he done? What has he done to this track? But it's not a negative thing here. It's just I'm amazed at how he managed to just turn it on its head. Turn a pep track into something that is a little bit more... Uh, again, I don't want to overuse the word dour here, but it's more of more of something you're trying to tell yourself something yeah. you need to tell yourself you know to sort of break yourself out of it's a an rut ex it's an explanation yeah to some extent and i think that it's actually uh, this is a good point to bring up a little bit of a tangent it's actually kind of easy we talked about this during uh the john williams to change the the style of a song and the feeling of a song just by changing the chords around and well, in this case, he we talked about jumping around. It. And while I did not like Jump Around from the Everlast album, I will say that it was a completely different beast just by changing the pacing of the chords. Uh, yeah. You can, I mean, it's easily it's easy to prove that you can do it. And it's not merely that that I'm remarking at. Um, it's, uh... Eh, maybe it is merely that that I'm remarking at, because it's just too amazing. It's too yeah. amazing. It's something I would never have even dreamed of. Like, who listens to that original track? It's just like, hmm, I'm going to spin this into something a little bit more depressing. Who would think with, of doing well, it with that particular it's track? It's just like the same idea with Jump Around, how it was almost comical to him how different it was from the original by changing Yeah, I remember that. actually he said that. You know, he, yeah. he actually went in his Twitter feed and sent to people, you know what, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh at this track. Yeah. So I, I accept it there. In this particular case, um, of course he could say that because he was covering himself, but in this particular case, I think it really comes down, again, to the lyrics. I would never have broken down the original lyrics, but it's alright, and it's coming along. We gotta get right back to where we started from. Love is good, love can be strong. We gotta get right back to where we started from. Even just that, that message, love is good, love can be strong. Something you're trying to tell yourself. That was something that I never really got out of the original track. You know, I just... Pep well, for Pep's sake. Well, because the original track was kind of vapid. It was very just. Well, oh, no, 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 no. I won't go that far. No. In this case, that's not vapid. It, but it portrayed a very different emotion to me than perhaps the uh, the lyrics would have. Well, I, guess, I guess not vapid, but I would say it. Vapid's the wrong word. It was very much. It was superficial in its message. No. What it was. No. No. Yes. No. What it was was what no. it was. Not even. I will refute that. My mother is a huge mid sixties to late uh 70s but i don't think you understand fan. what i mean by I saying know superficial this song. i know this song i would never consider it superficial but i don't think you know this what i mean is... by superficial 
What do you mean by superficial? It's very face value. That's not superficial. Okay. Then, yeah, that is not superficial. That's then, not the word superficial Then at I'm all. using the wrong word. Face it's very value, face value. Yes. Because it's just trying to say, yay. Yeah. That's what this song says in its original form. Yeah, pretty much. Yay. Yeah. That's a pretty simple way. That's to put what it. I was trying to say. Yay. Get back I was having feet. a jo- get this back one, feet, man. You this version says, life get you down. I was having get a John moment. If we're going to boil it there down. There were things in my head, but the words weren't matching. All right, all right. Okay. But either way, we uh, we agree it's sort of a get right get right back where you started from. Get back on your feet, man. The original was yay. This was aw. I mean, yeah, it was. the message is there, but it's it's again, it's just like I said at the outset. This is about convincing yourself as opposed to convincing yourself. Yes, the original was face value in that way, whereas once it's said, you're immediately perked back up. Like Sesame Street. All, some little furry creature had to come along and just, I don't know, show you a, a cool little thing. And Have you're like, day. wow, that's great. I, I changed my mood on a dime. Thank but you, this, Grover. Exactly. This is not <laughs> so clear cut. This is a bit more... This is a bit more realistic. This is yeah. the way life is. Someone says, uh, someone spins something in a positive light for you, it's just not always going to affect you in the same way. You could spend your days just writing writing things to cheer you up, reading things to cheer you up. It may not always do it, but that's the essence of life, is that you try. And that's what I get here in Mark Kozilek's version. It's the trying, regardless of failure or uh, or success. Yeah. And that's what I really, really loved about this. And it was it was evident in the chords themselves, in, uh, again, the way he harmonizes them, uh, the way he harmonizes himself uh, later in the song was amazing. And then you get this instrumental later in the song that likened itself to like a Renaissance era. That was really. That was. It was a little. That, it was a little divorced. I'll, all right, I'll admit that. I'll admit that but a little bit. I did enjoy it. That's the thing. It was one of those guilty pleasure div- uh, divorces. Divorces. <laughs> but I, I, I could. I could. Um, I could accept how it fits, perhaps, in a, uh, I suppose it's a timeless message. You always have to tell yourself that. So maybe you're telling yourself that back in the 1600s, well, great. Bully for you. It's sort of... I guess that's kind of... uh, Yes, that is an absolute stretch. Yeah. Either way... I'm allowed to do it so he can do it. That's right. Everybody can do it. Once he did it, he set the stage for me to do it, and now I can do it all day. You still haven't stretched (laughs) as far as I have. Yes, you've made much more stretches with tone, with, um, with, uh, with theme, excuse me, theme. But that's not really what it comes down to. It comes down to tone. And the tone, I thought, fit. For whatever reason, it fit. It's yeah. a very soothing tone. Have you ever listened to uh, Renaissance-era music? And I'm not yes, saying this whole course. track is Renaissance-era, although it does have had that leaning um, uh, throughout certain voicings has, has, here and there. Have I ever heard Renaissance music? He says to the guy who's been to plenty of Renaissance fairs. <laughs> well, not everyone has. I'm talking microphone, actually. Oh, fair. Yes. Well, um, but no, so I can yeah. do that profile, you know. <laughs> and I'm a huge fan it's of Arthurian here. legend, so I've listened to a lot of Renaissance. No, moving we, on. No, not moving on. The next track is Time Is Love, originally a country song. So we are moving on. Yeah, I know. It's just arguing with Matt. <laughs> he was just being difficult for we just We need some levity. Some, uh, not levity. So gravity. Time Is Love is a track What are that, words? What are words? <laughs> the, 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 I heard this version first on Mark Kozilek's album. And it has this kind of harsh, almost aggressive nature to it. No. Just where he's singing about time is love, but he's singing, he's put, the, the message is not so, it's not as lovey-dovey as the lyrics would necessarily convey. However, the original version. Stank. The original version. Stank. Is not a, is a judgy word. 
We're stank. not using Judgy. <laughs> it, it really stank. We use Judgy words. This is not a very good country song. The song was not well crafted. Unless you love 10 second guitar and mandolin solos, which you do get in about three quarters into that the track. That completely was, divorced from the rest of the track. And it wasn't really that good to begin with. It was just... I, I'll, I'll defend that. I think it was good, eh. but it was just... That was a clear divorce. So this now, song... In this case... I try not to say things are... Blatantly suck without explanation because it doesn't define anything. Original, That's not what we're here to do. No, the original was no, a very, very safe standard country song from an okay artist. Because if you listen to a little bit of his other stuff, uh, I right. recognize the face. You you want you want details on my my opinions of the original track? If we're yes. going to spend some time do doing that, I largely disliked it. That's not suck, right? Not right. Right. I felt it lacked feeling. I felt it was, I'm going to go back to this, it was department store country music to me. I felt it was, could, it could have come out of anywhere USA. It's, it's that generic of a right. country track. Sweet, but so empty. That, that defined the been done a million times before, but better, you know, maxim that we always go back to. It did have that cool guitar and mandolin thing, but that's about, that's about it. That's really all I had going from it. I really detested the, um, uh, the style of singing it was just so right up against the mic regardless that it had almost any range what it had no range at all right it's i know that might sound a little bit harsh and maybe maybe just some of that is is bleeding over from how much i did prefer uh mark Kozlek's version by contrast but it's out there that's my opinion of the original track mark Mark Kozlek did a great job of turning this song into an idea that Time is money, money become... Uh, time is love, time is money. Very similar ideas in this song. Love is equated to money. It's that same sort of currency of... Except instead of being a physical or economic, this is more emotional. And I did think he did a great job of actually doing that. Of, of transforming the idea of the two together. Because now he's not scrambling to make an extra buck. He's scrambling to have one more kiss. To not talk. To be emotional. To be loved. I like it. It did a, he did a great job of actually portraying that. That's the thing. The lyrics were there. If we can thank Josh Turner for anything else, it's the fact that he did give us the lyrics. But I'm sorry, that's my number one critique of the original track. Is just it didn't... The, the music didn't fit that, 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 that theme at all. Now, I, maybe, you know, I, not a lot of... I'm just going to have a little aside here because not a lot of artists really do seem to, to think about it that way. I think they really think about... It, about the music and the lyrics as being really two separate animals. Like, the music is a backdrop, and then your lyrics are your message, is what it were. Mm. I, I'm sorry, but I'm encountering that in a lot of places. I'm, it's not a good thing, in my opinion. Actually, I, I will say that most of our highest reader, rated uh, musicians are definitely treat the lyrics as music, as opposed to a separate entity. All of our higher rated ones... What do you mean, treat the lyrics as music? Scene Powered Giraffe. Perfect example of treating the lyrics and the vocals as music. Goldfrapp to some extent. Oh, well, hold on. I'm not talking about the albums we've done here. I'm talking I'm about, talking I'm about, talking about work in general. Oh, uh, okay, like, everybody else. Like pop artists in the world, a lot of... It seems to be that He's that's... He's making a large generalization. Oh, okay. He's allowed to do that, too. I do that all the time. You're See, totally I knew becoming John me. Would like You're totally becoming me today. You're coming with me a little bit, though. A yes. little bit. I'm using, big words. I'm using big words. And, and the manners in which you're attacking this album are on grounds that I would normally have been pointing yeah, out. Yeah, I know, So, right? yeah, you're becoming me also. <laughs> anyway, now that we've established that little bro moment, uh, there's a strange thing. I'm not 
it is generalization, and I admit that, but it's it's not so much like I'm saying, oh, everyone out there is doing it, but it's a common mistake by many artists. I think that's less general enough, that artists often fall into the trap where they they have two things. They have, oh, that's a great beat, that or that's a great chord riff or whatnot, right? And then, on the other hand, these are great lyrics, that's a great message. The two may not have anything to do with each other, but it seems to be that it's perfectly normal to just slap them on top of each other, and this is a case which I noticed with the Josh Turner track. Why should you have any need to, to emphasize the lyrics when the lyrics speak for themselves? That's one view, but it's just, it's a little bit short-sighted, in my opinion. Because right. when you look at Mark Kozilek's version, the art, the art of taking these lyrics and manifesting themselves right into the music by speeding up the music that, oh. such that you feel like you are short on time. You are rushed. You, you don't know, like, it, he rushes through his verses. It's almost a little bit off-putting the way you hear the end of one particular verse, and you're just like, whoa, whoa okay, that, that was a little bit quicker than I expected, and he's immediately on to the next verse. That rush pace is there. You feel a little bit frantic. And you compare that against the lyrics, that's, that's the emotion right there. You didn't even need the lyrics here. The music speaks for itself. I'm sorry, that is art. That's, that's what I, I rate this track off of. It's brilliant to me, regardless of the Josh Turner track. At all. Yes. Opinions? Uh, no, I agree. <laughs> Opinions, I agree. Yeah. In this case, yeah. In right. this song specifically, I did see that marriage. And you actually put it very eloquently. Thank you. I was having difficulty with that one. Okay. <laughs> Moving on to can Silly we, Girl. Can we move to Silly Girl? Do you have anything else to say? Because uh, you I seem to really to like this song. I really do like this song. <laughs> In the time I spent talking, how many kisses have I lost? I love that line. I, I guess I can... Thanks, Josh Turner, for that one. But either way, I love how it was sung. All right, all right, I'm done. I'm done. All right. Okay, we're, we're, Silly Girl. So Silly Girl... Um, oh, was this heartfelt. This might be one of the most candid songs so th- this on one, the album, this is, which is saying something. What That's I wrote, wrote down for this was heart-wrenching and sang from the heart. This is an Pleading. example... This is an example of Mark Kozilek singing like some of my favorite singers, where he had done this a little bit on the rest of the record, but this is where he... he you get a sense of the emotion just from his singing. The music is icing on the cake. But his singing carries this song. It's so from the heart and sincere. It it feels completely personal as if he had wrote, wrote it, which he hadn't. But this was, this was a nice... I did enjoy the punk version of this, because this was originally a punk song. Uh, it it conveyed similar ideas, but not not the same depth that was presented here. Uh, did, a, did a good job. I did enjoy, I will say, this is one of those ones I definitely enjoyed the acoustic version much more. Much more. That's not to say I really, really enjoy this song. This is a weird song, which I still, sometimes I love it, sometimes I hate it. I don't know what it is about this song, but at times I feel like it really just seems kind of tired, and yet at times it feels inspired. It's a, and it would you mean be the, the same the, part. the theme that's being discussed No, here. the song itself. There, I've I've heard the song half a dozen times on purpose. I kept listening to it because the first time I really didn't like it. Second time I kind of liked it. Third time I loved it. Fourth time I didn't really like it. It was weird. <laughs> Talking about our individual experiences. My my, my, this one is kind of on a fence for me, and I'm definitely leaning towards that's a good thing. Well, that is definitely a good thing in this case. All right. Well, let me just uh. I'm gonna spin this into something here, but um, at least commenting on what Matt said a, a minute ago. The fact that this track sounds like it's more... 
you said that Mark Kozilek, it sounds like it could be Mark Kozilek's own lyrics. The way in which he sings it. It's such... so it's so heartfelt. It's like either he wrote it or it's attached to a very specific pain or problem that it feels personal regardless of who wrote it. And here's the thing. I mean, granted, I feel that with most tracks on this album. So I'm not going to distinguish in the same way, but I easily see why you would pin that out here. Because let's talk about some facts. Vocally speaking, I think he, I think he's kind of proving you a little bit wrong with the range moment, John. I think his, I think he when he hits those high notes. First of all, it is it is it's separate. It's one of the few times he does try those high notes, though. But he gets them, and maybe 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 you're right. Maybe you're right, just in the grounds that when he when he reaches them, he almost sounds like he's not quite reaching them. But that lends itself to the longing so well that that you know, whether it's for real or whether it's artistic choice or not. I'm immediately moved. Immediately moved by it. And I think I understand now what was going. What? What? Why I'm so, so flipping on this out of the song, and it may be because of just how disturbed for me this emotion comes across. This longing really does hit home very well, and the way it's presented is desiring this woman that left. Uh, this woman that is leaving him has left him, or is just doing things that are driving them apart. That. That attachment I'm feeling there, and I've had problems in the past with the overly attached boyfriend type of songs we've delved into. Yeah. I can think of two or three instances where I've had problems with that, and I think this might be another one of those cases. Maybe it's just a a—it's—it's a personal perk in this case. I'm just getting a little bit too worried about what is being prese- uh, presented here. Right. Um, and for that, I, I'll, I'll just really just take a step back and just call it a good song because of that. That's, that's 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 the only way I could put it. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I mean, yeah, I think whether we've had that experience ourselves or known people with that experience. Do you remember that, what podcast that was? That was flip floppy on that song so much. Um, do you remember particularly? Yeah. I remember exactly what it was. It was One Republic. Yes. And it oh, was there yeah. was a song that sounded like. Um, that was episode forty-one for those interested. Um, and yeah, you... That was that stalker song. If you can get the song. You were insisting that it was a stalker song. Yeah. The song was, um, uh, I Can't Stop. We which had me an, and Steve loved. We had an issue. I had, an issue. On that. I had issues with. Yeah. I don't remember I whether like I loved it, but I... You did. You did. That was one of the few songs. It was the one that sounded like an old 90s R&B song. And you said yeah, that it was the that. most, most emotional he had sound on the, sounded on the record. Well, it's an interesting thing to note. I mean, when it comes to... I'm just looking at some of these lyrics. I'm trying to see whether whether that's an accurate assessment of this track. It's a little tricky. I think it was less the lyrical work, but more possibly the inflection of the words themselves. Because the way he says the lines, My silly girl, I'm begging you. My silly girl, I'm in love with you. It really does have a possessive nature to it. And I think the music kind of does does evoke that as well when you think about it 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 doesn't quite have the frantic nature of the previous track which was rushing through itself but there is a definite concern in the guitar here well yeah i'm not like when he says the line my silly girl i'm in love with you it's like it almost ends on a nice happy little major tone but then it immediately shifts away from that so there is this dis discontent with that and, and, well, line. Well, also because the way that line's being sung, it's almost like it's one-sided. Like, silly girl, I love you. 
but it's not reciprocated anymore. And, and there's, there's, there's nothing the about ending. this that indicates reciprocation there's, of any kind. Right. That is kind the of ending, offset off the ending was yes. really the part that that, that 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 cements this idea. They said, "Just stay away." Right now, I wish I had. I'm so in love with you, my silly girl. It's that 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 the pacing he puts into it and the inflection he puts into it. That's where I'm getting my vibes from. That that that. Control. Yeah, I think I think you've sold me on the on this um idea here. It it makes it into a kind of unsettlingly, unsettlingly artistic. In well, that unsettlingly one sided. Even when you, even artistic. when you just boil it down to the line, tell me all the things that I want to hear. It's it's disturbingly accurate. You yeah. can you, the, the, you can any inflection is so important with these words. Yeah, pacing, uh, emphasis. Like you just yeah, change the emphasis. That goes right could back really to take this from a beautiful the, sonnet the, to a deeply disturbing letter that you get from newspaper clippings. But then yeah. that goes back to what I always point towards when talking about emotionality, especially in singing, is it's not always what, but sometimes it's just how. It's yeah. how you say it. Regardless of what the what is, what the what is, it's how you say it as well. well he's, got, is, he's got a tear in his eye throughout the course of this track. I hear, hear it. it. I hear Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's, um... This is... This is but this is very is, stirring for me. This, I still need a what you're saying. And that's why I have problems with, like, track three and four. But I'm not talking about... I'm talking about this track. Yeah. That's This it. track, though, I believe has the right words. Yes. Well, like it really does have it the, does, but the it's words still... to convey this meeting in an oblique yet on the nose kind of a way. It's a great combination. But it's really how he sings it that brings it forward. Exactly. You want to have the original artist here? Oh, um, they did not have that written down. But the original artist, I do remember that this was a straight up punk track. Oh, punk punk. This was this was again kind of like the first track. Uh, I had written the, punk, but I didn't run, wrote who sang it. Yeah, kind of like the Bad Brains song. I. This was this was back to that that really really heavy punk style oh this it's was again, the, this was this one the um oh no that was later i thought this was the day glow abortions but no no that's no, no, later. no that's much later <laughs> that was the um, the, we'll the, the finale stuff right well, what my, my point is simply that again in terms of comparison here I, i'm not going to say that it's too far off because there was a little bit of a fan you can almost at least in the immaturity of that particular punk track from what i recall it was it did almost give it off. It just didn't go off in quite the same way. It's, yeah. I want to hear the emotion of this well, track. Well, there's a lot. And it, in, the, in the original, it was simply told. It was yeah. told as if it was almost a journal, which could be achieving something in and of itself. So I'm not going to disparage the original punk track. I think it did achieve something. I just, I still love what he did. It's also the level of energy that's infused within the punk track versus this track. Yeah. This, this, this definitely is not as... Uh, high energy. This is a deeper core energy associated with it. That's what most of this album is. It's this not so is, much energy. Instead, this is potential you, as opposed to kinetic energy. You That's what it boils down to. You replace There's, that energy with stress. I think. I yeah. feel like the physical toll on his on his mind. No, no, but I feel. It's intense. There's a lot of intensity. Well, that's what in I mean. Album. That's the intensity. That's not stress. stress. That's just the potential for energy. He has a lot of depth. He's not using the energy but he's full of strength in this album the emotions that come across is just he's just full of strength here well, at least in my experience stress is always very intense so yeah. i think this is okay. seriously splitting hairs i think it's time to move on to a onward, another section of this album onward and carpet crawlers i want to discuss together yes, yes this is a duality mine. this is first of all yes and genesis yeah these are two prog bands that are kind of lumped together at least when people think back to the early days of prog they always the site of yes and yes and genesis yes and genesis 
And it's funny that he chose two tracks that, in fact, are kind of similar to them, the original form, such that when he delivers it, he actually fuses his own take on it by making it a part one, part two. And you can tell this immediately just in the, mo- in the motive of the guitar. Right. Follows the same patterns between the first and the second, except it's with a little more intensity in the second. I'm conflicted with these songs. So speaking to Onward first, my biggest problem with Onward is, in, with some of it, I get a very much the same thing as I got from Free For All and the fact that since it's close, closer to the original without the extra bits... I started to wander a bit. However, Onward has some of the best finger-picking he does on the record. Because he's emulating a great prog guitarist, he's stepping up his game as well. Yes, and I will agree to that. But it also became... Because up until this point, we actually had some fairly short songs. This was one of the longer songs. If I'm Onward not. was over four Onward minutes. Onward and uh, Carpet Crawlers were both very long songs for his work. And the the, the picking felt repetitive and droning after a while. It was intricate, but it, I was having the same problem I was having with some of the Marnie Stern stuff. Yes, intricate. Yes, inventive. But stay gets a little stagnant by the end of the song for me. Well, you might have also that might have also been enhanced by the fact that you have two tracks where with where it's all, nearly almost the same. The same. Yeah. There are some variations here, and I do want to discuss that. But they do but, go work well together because of that. But I do cons- I can still keep them apart as separate entities. Right, uh, the variations do keep them. Apart. But yeah, this is um I mean variations at least well within the tracks themselves, uh, especially the acapella section at the beginning of Genesis. But I want to hold hold off on that just for a little bit and just discuss the original tracks because part of the thing that drew the original tracks together was their use of synth so in this particular case Very this light. is direct homage this yeah. is not yeah, yeah he all right he's delivering his own take but it's in the mark like way that the original songs almost have their own introspectiveness to them as well in other words they were already kozalekian to begin with right and he just went with it so it still delivers and what i mean by it's a direct homage that he's his guitar style is really just copying the original uh, synth motive Correct. that was there in the Yes track. So, no, it's not anything particularly original. I still think it paints the same picture. But then again, this was one case. The one case on the album where I am going to say that maybe I still preferred the original. Because after all, Two you're cases. talking about... Yes, well, um, I'm a little more with the, uh, Yes, actually, than... Uh, gotcha. So excuse me, I'm a little more of a Genesis than I am with Yes. Yes okay. was the one which I think I the original track is beautiful. It is downright gorgeous. I, I, I remember the late horns was just yeah gr- amazing to finish that song. So after an album where I've been touting the whole less is more thing, this is one where I'm going to pull back a little bit. Yes just had this way of knowing the right thing to put in at the right time. There are some critiques about Yes and the large part of their discography where people. Seem to get a little bit bored by the changes. Now, isn't that ironic? You're getting bored by the lack of changes here with Mark Kozilek, but people got bored with the amount that, yes, felt the need to rush stuff in. I just don't think that this is an example of it. I think this is an incredibly tasteful track. I can cite examples of yes music where, yeah, it's, kind of it, where it's well, not only, only meh because they actually took prog to the extreme where they were changing things <laughs> up so frequently that you're you're losing your center a little bit and that's about the that's the one and only critique of prog that I have otherwise I'm down with the genre in this case 
it was tasteful. I'm sorry, it's a beautiful song front to back. And Mark Kozalek, just by replicated. thinning it down, he replicated it down, and maybe it does lack a little bit because there's moments where I do want to hear the saxophones. I do want to hear, I'm sorry, excuse me, the horns and uh, all the intricacies of synth work that, yes, was so phenomenal at. Yeah, it's just one of those things where where it kind of suffers for that reason, but none of us are saying that it's bad by any means. Obviously, everything on this record is good or better. It's just one of those moments where I, just, I felt it was unnecessary. I felt the, it was the first cover I felt... Was y- not as good, well, at least. Well, actually, no. I, it was necessary because I guarantee this track was... My name's Mark Kozalak, and I love Yes, so I'm going to play a Yes song. I think Genesis I, I re- is the next one as and well. And I think Genesis as well. I think he likes Prague, and these songs he didn't really want to change. He just wanted to play them because he likes them. It's a direct homage. This is fan service. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's service. also showing some of his inspiration because while punk is sort of where he seems to be drawing a lot of his message, his actual guitar work is very similar to uh, the style of yes of Genesis I of agree prog. Yeah. completely so with this that. is this is his throwback saying this is where it came this from this is what I'm doing I think this is kind of fitting also when with uh, I, I tend to at least as the few times that I've listened to this album so far I, I'm distinctly seeing a coming of age uh, tale of sorts uh, especially with the autobiographical songs and here at least in terms of of taste and influence yeah. I think there's there's reasons for this track these two tracks functioning a little bit more identically to the original. And I can understand Carpet Crawlers. I like the introduction as pure vocals. Yes. I, yes. I, I did appreciate the connection in when the the guitar work is put in. and I, But as a whole, I still felt like the original was better. I'm still going to be on that sort of side of the fence. But I, I, will, go back I will say there is one part... That Mark does, and that is the words, got to get in to get out. His inflection, <laughs> the way he belts out that line, or not even belts, the way he croons slash smashes into your face out that line, yeah. I just love it on every repetition. Why don't you use the word croon, especially since it's that was that was the word that belt. I used for, for, for gold frap, which is funny because um, people don't often use that word for a female singer when they think of the crooner as being the Frank Sinatra's of the day and everything. Nothing else can sing. And that's just an odd word for Mark Kozilek. If there's anything I would not call him, it is a crooner. Because, yes, he's, like, he delivers. Damn, good God, does he deliver for me. But it's, it's something that's so muffled that it should... Well, at least at my experience, my only experience hearing him live was in, like, a small recital hall. And that's the kind of thing, I feel like it's apples and oranges. And I, I could not envision him playing on a large st- stage, and I'm sure he has. So I'm not saying it wouldn't be great, but it you would take away intimacy. a little for me. Yeah, this you goes back intimacy. to our live music discussion. It, you would definitely lose intimacy. Yeah, absolutely. But as far as carpet crawlers go... go. Other than that one line, very, very little made me grip. Now, granted, the line was part of the chorus, so I kept getting it and kept getting pulled back in. But a lot of the verse work kept letting me fall back out. Again, it was just, it's too close to the original to really strike any specific chords, other than the chords the original struck. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you, I'm a little bit less so with it. I, I agree with that regarding the, the yes song, but Carpet Crawlers... Um, You're more on the fence on. I'm more on the fence on. I think I think it delivers just about the same level of depth. Um, 
Maybe it has something to do with the fact that I'm not familiar with the original Genesis song. Which is, I'm a big Genesis fan, so I know the song. I, I, yeah, I know a lot of Genesis, I just don't know this particular one. In either case, there's some definite features to his uh, vocal work with some of these lyrics, and I think that does promote it a little bit over the hump for me. Uh, the inflection that he places on, um, a salamander scurries into flame to be destroyed, imaginary creatures are trapped in birth on celluloid. There's just... There is, again, there's a lilt there. Something that brings that phrase to life, which perhaps the original didn't, at least in the case of that phrase. Maybe. But it's very phrase by phrase, maybe case by case with this song. This is, also... this is a longer track, a much longer, or at least... Much wordier. Much wordier, exactly. So, oh, it's tough to gather meaning from this, honestly. Yeah. This is, um... He goes a lot more metaphorical in the later tracks. Yeah. The, the earlier stuff is very much... Not simple, but very much presented without shades of gray. Granted, the meanings themselves are, are gray scale, but the words themselves are very much on the nose in the way we like to use the word. Now he's becoming more metaphorical, and I like the transition that just... he's working on here from very oblique words to very shrouded words. I agree with that. And actually, just to just to wrap up this track, if we don't have much more to say on it, is I think I'm actually I'm I'm deriving a lot of meaning just from the opening track here. Opening that, line. The, excuse me. Yes, the opening line of this track, which is sung completely a cappella. That's that's an easy that's an easy trick for just about any artist. Is when you drop out all your instruments, especially on an on an album that is acoustic, where you, most of the instruments are dropped out already. So you're just left with the guy and his guitar, and now you're even dropping out the guitar, you're just left with the guy. And the first line here is, He returns from his mixed-up memories to the passage he was previously stuck in. This time, the pref- he was th- previously stuck in this time, he discovers a long carpeted corridor. It's just the mixed-up memories. This is the album as a whole to me, in a sense, is mixed-up memories. I'm gathering little snippets here and there. Sometimes it's about a girl. Sometimes it's about an emotion. Sometimes it's about this and that. They're little snippets. This is... This, I think, is a good compilation album. As a cover album, you'd expect it to be nothing but a compilation. Uh, but they're snapshots. And I think this succeeds in a way that perhaps other albums we've done haven't quite in the snapshot realm. And we get to 13. Which, not to be confused, this is track 10. It's called 13. Yes, by Denzig. That was the original. This was another one of those heavy, heavier tracks. Oh, it yeah. wasn't quite as heavy, though, as you'd think from perhaps the cover. Uh, the cover of the um, of the album, you know, sort of rang with that, like, satanic, Black Sabbathian heavy metal uh, streak. But then again... Uh, and also, the, I think the title of the album was called Satan's Child. I thought it was Satan's Child. Yes, it was Satan's Child, because that's Lots what I wrote down. <laughs> I was not looking at that, though. I actually remembered that. I was looking at it. You were looking at my notes? How dare you look at my notes? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> no, it's kind of a funny thing. It, it, I would have thought that this, orig- that this track, just based on those two things, the original track would have been a lot heavier. It wasn't particularly... It was, it was actually more of a southern rock kind of track. Well, Danzig, Danzig has his moments where he's very heavy, but most of his biggest songs that that I know of are more classic rock sounding. You know, think Mother. Mother is one of Danzig's biggest tracks, and that is very classic rock sounding. My biggest problem with this track was on the first listen, anyways, that it kind of felt dull to me. I didn't really get the sense of the emotion behind the track on the first listen. However, 
on upon a second listen when we listened to it together, I got this sense of the outlaw song. It kind of felt like a guy wandering in the desert, kind of. Yeah. Branded 13 on my neck. I yeah. mean, there are some. Branded. The, what the, do you do when you're branded? No, there's That's some, an old TV show from the Some of the imagery definitely promotes that whole outlaw idea. Uh, it, yeah, it had a taste of Western. Yeah. I think it's the best way to put it. Yeah. I, For that and for the presentation here, because it still had that taste of Western... It was still very. It was. It had that monotone. That was. It was. It had the mumbly monotone in his voice, which was a little bit of a departure from what he had actually been doing. Right. That that mumbly tone, though, did a great job of bringing you down. And I think that was that was purposely and very well done for the closing of this album. I just did not really get on board with the song itself. If because of that mumbly monotone, it became kind of droning for me. It was a little bit droning. I'm going to agree a little bit here. This yeah. is this track I'm going to throw in is the consistencies of the rest of the track. It was slow. It was kind of miserable. This is... Kind of... No, this might be very miserable. Yeah, this is just about every place that he's been, uh, but consistent. I wasn't as drawn into the particular emotion. It was more the consistent emotion that he hasn't really strayed from. Yeah. So I'm going to sort of gloss over this track. Yeah. And rush to Green Hell. So Green Hell is my favorite track on the record, hands down. Mostly because he emulates one of my favorite genres in this track. The original track, Green Hell, was punk. Misfits, right? Yep. Yep. This version, um, however... I believe it was Misfits. This was, version, however, the way he plays it, it has this kind of... It was grunge. It was grunge. There's no other way to describe it. It emulated an Alice in Chains style or even a Nirvana style grunge song, but had this... The first is the compliment, the second isn't. Yes. But it had it was it was slow core intense. It was slow intensity in the best of the grunge ways. It did an excellent job of, of creating a picture for this outro. Yeah. And I have to keep referencing that. Because the way this this, this album closes up is much deeper and darker in its um, potential energy. I will, much yeah. deeper and darker in its intensity. And this did this this took con- continued that monotone idea of, of thirteen to some extent, but definitely added a, a hitch to it, an intensity to it, that did a great job of of just really putting the green hell in your face. I will admit, <laughs> completely off, out up front, it, this is a very self indulgent track for me. One of the biggest reasons I like it is because it sounded like a grunge track, but it didn't sound like someone doing grunge. It sounded like of error grunge, like as if this could have come out in the the eighties, nineties, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, this and is that's what coming. I loved about it the most is it pu- that immediately pulled me in that sound. Nirvana before would he have opened his it. mouth, Kurt Cobain would have covered this. Yeah, I mean, before I even heard a lyric, I felt that way, and then he started singing in this voice, in his, the voice he's been singing in. When you went, ah, yes, I get it now. You know, it was very clarifying <laughs> yeah. for me. If there was one thing that really, really stood out in this track for me, and I did enjoy this track in the whole, even if I didn't have as much to say about it, because, again, it was fairly consistent with this tone, but I did feel the darker element, and I think it really all comes down to that line that's repeated in the chorus, like every other hell, but kind of green. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. It's, it's it is. so matter-factory in its delivery, Yeah. yet kind of scary. Yeah, it's... um. 
Kind of green. <laughs> I just, I mean, it's, it's comical. It's probably the only thing that's... It's black comedy for this album, for sure, but it's the only thing that's even remotely comical to begin with. It's ironic yeah. to some nature. I mean, it's... It's... Yeah, just matter-of-factly, but yeah, and that's, but this that's, is hell. Welcome. And that's what makes it uh, grunge, too, is a lot of grunge songs were very much... This is how it is. Yeah. Like, this considering sucks, this started this started off this album started off with punk and grunge, it was sort of ending with punk and grunge here. Uh there's a little bit of a little bit of a go back to where you start. Hey, right back where you started from uh, callback. But the thing is this is one of those cases where again the the repetition that he chooses for that particular groove really just fits the monotony oh. of the existence that he's portraying here. Absolutely, it's it's perfect for it. No, that's 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 the benefit of grunge as a genre as a whole, and uh, he brings it to life. He brings it to life in in pure acoustic music, and I think that is that's one of the strong suits for this album. I agree wholeheartedly. Let's move on to probably one of the creepiest songs I've heard since the Paper Chase. This oh, is a boy. song I called, <laughs> in context. In context, I the song is no. called "I Kill Mommy." In I everything. killed mommy. Yeah. I killed mommy. And it's originally done by the Dayglow Abortions. Not yes, kidding. That was the Dayglow Punk abortions. band named the Dayglow Abortions. They are probably very well known. I had not heard of them. So they took a song, a punk song, and what he does here is so twisted with this song. He keeps his tone that he's had consistently through the record, as Steve has pointed out. And really but pointed in tracks the, because 13 of, and Green Hall. Shall be, I read these lyrics front to back? One sec. So, <laughs> yes. Um, I, I would like you to actually do a re- reading of these lyrics. But the thing about the way that Mark Kozalek sings these lyrics, they're sickening, depressing, numb. It comes off like he's a serial killer. Exactly. And that's, it's terrifying. Which is great because oh, that's what the lyrics are. He comes off like Hannibal Lecter. Let's read the lyrics. Let's discuss after. I couldn't stand their attitude for another day. They were trying to synchronize me, so I blew them away. My daddy was a bitch. He screwed around with my dog and cat. My mommy satisfied her thirst with a bag of urine. I kind of liked my sister's friends. Keep them fresh in the fridge. Murdered the bitch with a baseball bat. She was only five. What do you think of that? I knocked her down the basement stairs. Then I burned off all her hair. Mutilated her virgin body. My mommy caught me, and she tried to stop me. Killed my mommy with an automatic. That's it. It's you disturbed yet? Yeah, it's terrifying. And this song, I think, is where, as much as Green Hill, Green Hell is my favorite. This is where Mark Kozalak, as an individual artist, shows his stones. He shows, hey, this song that was kind of erratic and very punky, I'm gonna make it terrify you. This is very strange considering that his songs are known for being autobiographical. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want that in here. <laughs> but it's uh it's a yes, it's a very bold move. Either way, uh, whether they're autobiographical or not, he's he's an image person. He's and all about the image. The image is is what it comes down to in the, the image end. is a man on the stand at his trial recounting the events of the night. Yeah. Cold and calculating. Yes. And I will say this is when I really feel like I I finally realized the story. This is a romantic tragedy. This album is a romantic tragedy. Whether it is a personal one or whether it's from afar, it's kind of an interesting idea because with all the depressing nature involved in here, it's almost like 
a more updated version of Norman Bates. I mean, it's it's got that kind of intensity associated with that character and culminates in something kind of messed up. What I want to say, though, is typically we're talking about how a song lacking emotion, not good. I have to say that this is the first time I've seen that I can think of where an absence of emotion makes the song perfect. The fact that it's conveyed so numbly is what adds to the creep factor. Whereas in the past, we talk hmm. about silence and absence of other things define songs. The absence of emotion in this song, this numbness he conveys the lyrics with as if he were a serial killer or someone on the stand, someone calculating like Hannibal Lecter, that's what sells now, the creepiness. Now that's an interesting take because that's a different direction I was going to go with this. As much as I think it's a bold move that he chose this uh, this track, I, I was ready to sort of count this in one of my mid-range tracks. I was very heavy with the early portion of this album because I liked how he brought the, the mood to life. And this is sort of a strange one to bring to life because how, how well do you really want to bring this uh, this this life, this existence, this action to life in a way that's not doing it in the paper chase, ready. But at least paper chase, it did make us sick and I didn't quite feel as sick during this. Oh. I know that's real strange considering the lyrics are very uh, um, upfront. But the way in which the music itself, I suppose, just didn't deliver it in the same way as as it as he did in earlier tracks, which interestingly had, had less of a uh, less of a power I think it's more of a transformation throughout this album because we use the word emotional much more heavily in the beginning of the album and intensity much more heavily in the latter part. Yeah. It is a the the emotions definitely go down. The amount of actual emotions goes down while the intensity factor goes up. I mean, I could liken I Free for All and Young Girls as talking about this character from his own perspective, explaining who he is explaining his addiction to to young women explaining his more anthem nature his like who he is like rats are the interaction of the people he doesn't like and it goes forward it goes forward and it kind of progresses in a storyline arc of his delve from a person to a a serial individual it does and this does fit the arc that's for sure and, and that's where i'm going to say this this has really become a very artistic uh, uh, closing with the next song. And what will lock in the creepiness of track 12 is the way track 13 is delivered. Track 13, probably the most well-known It's the couple song. If you think duets, you think this song and this couple. It's I Got You Babe, originally by Sonny and Cher. This and is he the, took yeah. a beautiful love song, a beautiful, beautiful song about two people in love, and made it depressing. He made Transformed. It, a, it became a funeral song. It, became it sounded almost like a, a eulogy for and your loved you. one. That's at exactly their what it was. This was a eulogy. Still I'm, this, actually with, I'm actually with John's a dirge is pretty close. But but it's one of those things where he took a song where it's two people singing to each other in love. And he's singing the whole thing. And instead it's him singing it's still the same love, but it's depressing as hell because it sounds like it's ended. Babe, I got you, babe. When you put your hand in mine. It's not when you put your hand in mine. It's when you put your hand in mine. <laughs> it's just everything is regretful in this song, which is the opposite of what the original was. 
I'm very interested. The, in the, the portrayal the is just so pretty. It's so pretty. It's amazingly done. To to take such a lovey dovey song and turn it into a song about regret and longing and lost love in such a dramatic way. I I, I love the finale. It's very strange. I, I found this to be a little bit more subtle. I didn't see it quite as stark as you guys. I saw it to be somewhat of a subtle change, but I appreciate the fact that you're seeing this in such a way. It's just strange that you saw that subtlety to, to be stark. I mean, there have been lots of versions of Sonny and Cher, uh, and this song particularly. Lots and lots and lots but and lots of all, versions. But almost all of them keep the high energy involved in that first one. I wouldn't quite call it high energy, though. It's more of an acceptance kind of track. It's kind of a, well, at least, you know, at least I've got you. You would say it while you're looking into your lover's eyes and smiling. Yeah. Not in this way it's presented. Not looking Perhaps to your not. lover's eyes as her eyes are closed. And I think and it's just a really good <laughs> conclusionary track for the record because it, it feels very final. There's a finality to the way it's presented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does, agree. it does a hell of a job. I just want to say that I found it fascinating that this might be our longest review ever because... The the thing I like I think find fascinating is when a lot of the time when we do the podcast we're 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 trying to be free form and and flow with it and typically we like to bring you a topic we've discussed prior. However, there's probably not going to be a topic today I because we ran so long this. on this review because we made it about covers. We've gone an hour and a half. I have a lot to covers. talk. About. I have a we've lot gone to talk an about. hour and a half. About covers in a little bit. We've yeah. gone an hour and a half just on the review. Just on the review. Yeah, we have not done that before. I could not. Well, this is part of the reason why I chose this album. I could not have let this album go without without discussing the original. But this is why I think that you know I'm glad to I'm happy to a let go of a topic we pre-planned that will remain for another time that was gonna was a broad topic. Go because we talked so in depth about this album, and I have and it allowed me to see more than I thought I would. And here's where I'll start my closing. I I still am not 100% on board with this album. That's a major factor. I'm very heavily leaning towards um, I, Like Rats, and Free For All. On the flip side, I lean towards Green Hall, uh, Green Hell, I Killed Mommy, and I Got You Babe. The, the ends of these album, uh, the, the ends, the bookends of this album are really, really potent for me. Uh, the rest of the songs just... They do have good bits, but I don't feel that same uniformity of all the pieces come together as I feel with the ending tracks. Also, it is basic guitar work. There's not a whole lot of inventiveness. And that's one thing that that, that kind of hurt it for me. Yes, it did have quality, and it was technically astute, but... I needed something a little more gripping at points. There, there were parts where it just, I can't do it with another round. I can't do it with another round. It was over and over again, some, some songs, and they wore on me a little. But it's, it's an incredible story. Uh, most of the songs, I really like uh, the, the, the choices he made here. Up and down, his vocals are very good. While, like I said, not very broadly ranged, incredibly infle- incredibly inflective, incredibly emotional. He he does a great job of, of painting 
in this album. It's very artistically done. I can't rate fully on art. Uh, Steve, come on. You know, you're the technical guy. You know I gotta look at a little bit of technicality now. Go, go for it. And because it's it's light and it's meant to be light. It's meant to be acoustic. It's meant to be minimalistic. I like deep chords because of that. I do like this, but I ain't in love with it. No, not by a long shot. There's a lot of good and some bad. So I'll put this at 375. It is a solid acoustic album with a great story there. Whether it's actually a great story or a tragedy, I mean, it's all up to you when you get to the end of it. But it's got a uniformity. It's a, it's a great p- picking and choosing and creating something out of other disparaging parts. I'm not even caring about the originals. The originals, to me, don't matter in this case. His presentation is just great on, on nearly everything. So, yeah. 3.75 for me so I have to say that this is a, a record where on a first listen I didn't think a lot of it I thought it was okay but on a second listen and then discussion my rating has changed three times between listening to it originally then listening to it again and then discussing it I'm seeing a lot more in it than I had seen previously um, there are no bad tracks none um, there are okay tracks and then there are great tracks. Um, I can't ignore tracks like "Like Rats," "Young Girls," uh, "Right Back Where We Started From," uh, "Green Hell," "I Killed Mommy," "I Got You, Babe." You know, uh, "Silly Girl." There's so many tracks that just touch that, you. Yeah, I mean, it's a very emotional record. Um, that said. I still felt that there was some repetitiveness to it. Not a ton, but there were moments. You know, I a little bit, but it was mostly free-for-all and a little bit in time is love. Um, And then, as we had discussed, Onward kind of was repetitive because, again, the original just did so much more. But that's not enough to hurt it that much. I mean, mostly, I mean, the arc is very strong. There's a clear message, even if it's not a defined story. There's definitely a clear message of kind of coming to terms with something and or, you know, learning and growing older. Um, But emotion runs rampant in this album. And the one track that haunted me the most was one lacking emotion completely. And that's track 12. It's a case of Paper Chase again for me, where I was so disturbed, I have to give credit to that song. Because if you can make me shudder and not want to listen to it again, that's powerful. Props to you. That's the Requiem for a Dream situation. Right. Where it's worth hearing, but that song, I never want to hear his version again. (laughs) It's terrifying. So, that said, this this album, though, again... It's still acoustic. There are a lot of basics. It's very beautiful. And when it comes down it down to it, yeah, I liked it. But, <laughs> you know, I was still looking for something a little more. You know, he vocally, he showcased his emotionality and his talent. Instrumentally, I wanted a little something else. I don't know. I, I mean, I felt that he was at his perfection in songs like Green Hell or, or I Killed Mommy, you know. Or right back where you started from. And, and those songs weren't always super complicated. 
But I just, I don't know, I was looking, I feel like there's just something else he could convey that wasn't quite there. That being said, it's definitely a 4-2-5 for me. It was just going to be a 4, but I can't ignore a strong arc, being completely freaked out by at least one track, if not more, <laughs> and being so emotionally connected. Even though I wanted to rate, initially wanted to rate it around what I rated Everlast, because at first I just took it as a acoustic album, okay, it's not that. After discussing it and listening to it again, I really get a sense that there's more to this guy than this, and I'd actually, I'm far more interested in his originals now than his covers because of how he conveyed these covers. So it's a 4-2-5 for me. Very interesting. I'm pleased with the way today went. I'm very pleased. I know. I was talking it down so much. Steve was worried I was putting it under three. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> That's how I always started off. I bring... I brought this record. Particularly, as I said at the very beginning. Actually, as an answer to uh, to Everlast. Um, because I thought... You know, we we could stand to use some to hear some variety in in acoustic, and I just I was all too curious to go back to this guy and see what he's doing now, and then when I saw it was a cover album, I was like, eh, I don't know, this this really is kind of going to be the you're not going to be getting his lyrics, uh, and you're probably going to be getting very accurate covers, and I was just like, ah, eh, this, this is probably not a good choice, and then I just thought I'd take a little look and see what one of the originals was. And the second I heard that that gritty opening punk track, I knew it. We're doing this record. Absolutely my, my turning point. Because all of a sudden, he took on a whole other role to me as an artist. Originally, I said he's, he's an amazing... He's an amazing vocalist to me. I can't I, I can't even speak in terms of range and all that other stuff I discussed with John about all the things he can't do with his voice because I'm too obsessed with the things he can do with his voice. He makes me believe in almost every single thing he says. That's just something that too many artists who have amazing voices by very objective standards can't really do to me. They they can they can sing beautifully. I can acknowledge, oh, they have excellent, excellent vocal training, positively excellent, and yet I'm not feeling anything throughout. To some extent, that was the case with that Bruno Mars track. Uh, he's a talented singer. Um, I wasn't really feeling that song, though, not in the same way that Kozilek delivered it. So, here's the little shift, though. I'm pretty obsessed with how he was able to spin the lyrics that were pre-written into something that was immersing me just about 100%. I didn't care at that moment. I didn't care about the repetition, but I will give it a little bit of a, a little bit of a curve here. Maybe a curve backward. Because there are moments where he throws in these little things here and there with his guitar. For instance, I noticed that just in, just in the very first track, I, I noticed that he would throw in that very fast strum toward the end of the track, which which sounded completely otherworldly. This was something, well, not otherworldly, but more historical. It sounded like something that would come out of a Renaissance-era thing. Uh, the same thing happened with uh, the track later on um, that actually sounded Renaissance-y. These little things, I think, are what I'm a little bit more curious about than perhaps the message at play. I really, really, really appreciate this message, and I think it's a beautiful thing that he tried to do. Even then, I know that this is a side project for him. This is... 
He's had two very renowned bands, and Matt, you said right up front that uh, you were curious to hear some of his original work based on this. I really would encourage you to look up uh, anything by the Red House Painters or by Sun Kill Moon or by uh, his few other um, uh, solo records. Pretty much all you'll be getting is acoustic in many in many cases, um, except for the, the bands, of course. You'll be getting other stuff. But similar moods, very similar moods. And you'll be getting his original poetry. Um, this is not about a method of, of comparing, of comparing uh, original poetry versus uh, the poetry that was here that he decided to, to take. It's a really, really tricky rating for me because I'm at the point where I, I want... I want to see something that is originally Mark Kozilek, and every single time I think back to these tracks, I'm like, it's not Mark Kozilek. But it's so fascinating what he was able to do with lyrics that weren't his. And he's done a lot of other covers also. See, but I would argue that it is Mark Kozilek, because he makes it his own. Oh, he does make it his own. And that's part of the reason why I, I, I'm just, I'm in this little middle ground here, because... I do hear the repetition you're talking about, and I'm just trying to decide exactly how objective I'm going to be about it. There I mean, is repetition there, but at the same time, I'm completely immersed in the moment in every case. Maybe maybe the only holes for me were uh, Onward, uh, the, you know, the, the Yes and Genesis tracks. Eh, that was a straight-up homage, but it had its place in the album. This is just so tricky. And for I, me, that's what kept it from a four, the fact that I really didn't feel very much invention in the music. And for me... The but that's fact, not the goal at this point. And the fact for me is that it was so emotionally connecting, and so it did get in my head. That's what pushed it above a four for me. And I also know that I've... I've again, I had the distinct impression that it was in a more mature sound when I first heard him on stage, which is the first time that I ever heard him. And it, I had the same experiences you john almost i was like all right very pretty very pretty i'm kind of waiting for the oomph i've just come to realize that it's already been several years since that concert that's really not what he's about it's about the snapshot it's about that what it was said autobiographical uh nature we've of his turned, tracks so turned him. he's mm. become an amalgamation of me and you storm Actually, yeah, I could probably say the same thing about you, though. Yeah, he's, all he's of us have rubbed off on each other. Yeah. Wow, this is running long. <laughs> let's let's close it off then, quick. I'm going to finish this with a little bit of a review that was given on this, um, just in terms of his style okay. of covers. Kozlex covers usually repurpose old lyrics, putting those familiar words into sepia tones. And as an example, taken straight from the review, "Like Rats," for instance, is a dank dystopian nightmare snapshots like these which are essentially the goal of his art this is a separate animal than all of the other uh progressive songs that are where i'm also always trying to hear something different i'm trying to hear the arc within the song there's very little arc within these songs you don't need it it is it speaks for itself up front it's a macro piece it's based on that art form which in itself is original to me I don't need original guitar work to tell me that, although his guitar work speaks for itself in the in the emotion it conveys. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you, Matt. Four two five. Okay. So very much. Yeah, listen. I I would potentially uh, yeah, the, buy the, the the overall the overall rating. Certainly, I'd, I'd listen. keep it. I'd keep it at listen. No, it is buy... the overall overall rating is listen. This is something to experience. Don't miss it. It's it's some of the theme work in this. 
song itself in the, in because the, in on, the, on on the mainstream it's not gonna level. come to everyone though and i yeah. think if anyone has the same uh, experience as i did with this artist it's going to be the kind of thing that needs to grow with you over the years yeah um it's uh you might get it in the first time but here's the thing it's 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 too slow of an art form and you need to really read into it and you need to listen to it several times you have to seep in it yes Still, seep like absorb, sepia, like sepia. absorb through um, one's pores. And I'm going to, being. I'm going to conflict, John. I say that this review was longer than Macklemore. It, it, we're, we're wrapping up, well over an hour and a half. Yeah, we're pretty review. close. <laughs> I, I just want to say a few words about covers, because if we're gonna have a topic today, covers should definitely be the thing. Okay. There's two types of covers. Well, as we I said, said that at the very beginning. But and there's cover bands. Revisit for us. So I find that in my experience with many different versions of music and types of music that the ty- the two types of main covers are either an artist takes a song that they love and make it their own which Mark Kozilek did a lot today or they take a song and pretty much play it as is almost in homage both could be considered an homage but the latter is more so because it's repeating exactly what came before a perfect example of the homage is the Fab Four a group that actually travels around covering the Beatles as the Beatles. Their specialty is actually early Beatles work. And seeing them up on stage, hearing them, you can tell the difference, but it's hard sometimes. It's really hard, and it's great actually going to them. The vast majority of people, vast majority, not everyone, but the vast majority of people who try to cover Beatles tracks are only attempting homage and nothing else. Yeah, because I... you, normally, they go to the Beatles because they absolutely loved what they did for their own influences, and they just want to see if they can reproduce it. Yep. They just want to see if they can deliver the same thing. And the fact that everyone still wants to hear the Beatles live, they want it, they'll still get a kick. That's why there was that show called Rain that was on Broadway that was basically yep. all about the covers. And the perfect example of something that actually did both, that made songs their own yet also did homages, was Across the Universe. The, the movie that actually an, that was an did both. It covered directly yeah. as much as they could with Dear Prudence, and yet, with something like uh, uh, Come Together, it was a really different take on it. With Let It Be, really different take on it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think that's where you run into the problems with covers. Because, of course, when people hear tracks, and especially when it's over the course of years, they're going to start embedding themselves in your head. There's, they're going to attach themselves to you in some way, such that when you hear the beginning of the track, you know exactly where you want it to go, especially if you've grown to love it. And that's the rub, because when covers, often, often, especially if you're not trying to do an exact, you know, Beatles replica or in all these other cases, replicas often aren't the point of covers. Not perfect homages, but general close homages. Even those close homages can kind of deter listeners in a little way when they hear something that's just not quite what it was. Now, granted, that's that's one view. It's a sort of a negative view for covers, and I've heard... Yeah, but also I feel like that if you're going to go into covers with that mentality, why are you listening to them in the first place? I mean, if you're going to go in prejudging like that, I mean, and it's not the same. I mean, people listen to music however they want or for whatever reason they want. But if you're going to be with anything, if you're going to judge it before you even give it a shot, why bother? Well, this might be why I was a little bit more against the uh, the Genesis um, Yes covers just because they were a little bit closer. And I really do love to see fresh, new, bold takes on something. To be honest, even going back to Walk Off the Earth, which was our only example of covers, um, 
when we were looking at not the EP that we reviewed, but the covers that we reviewed alongside it, even though the we departures, didn't the, the departures were definitely yeah. the betters of the bunch. Exactly. And yes, but because they I, make you see things in a new light. That's when you learn something. But that's what I'm saying is, I just don't think you should hear something and immediately write it off because it's a little different from what you expect. No. That's all I'm no, saying. Not at all. That's unacceptable. I agree that. I tend to enjoy covers more when people make it their own or do something with it. I mean, one of my favorite things, since we're talking about covers, and he did cover something recently, Schaefer the Dark Lord sang in a burlesque show that was all about musicals. And he sang Dentist by from the musical Little Shop of Horrors. Which I actually thoroughly love that song. So, but what Schaefer did is he sang the first verse, and then in the middle... He created a unique rap, but more or less hitting all the beats of the original song, but still created his own rap. So he still made it his own. The song itself was the same. He might have, I think he might have changed the beat a bit, but he made it his own by adding rap to a song that didn't already have it. Uh, a more recent, it, not really that it's that recent, but a more recent cover uh, of a great song, uh, Smooth Criminal, Alien Amp Farm. Back in the which, late 90s. Which I actually... I won't say it's as good as the Jackson one because it's Jackson, but it's actually a really well, nice... Well, they changed the tempo. It's a nice, they nice the throwback. Yeah, it's, they... a, it's almost like a throwback. That's what the homages really should be. They should feel like throwbacks as opposed to trying to replicate. I think that actually makes it work better. You're going to keep the similarities, um, but use your genre, your sound, your make instruments. It yours. Make it yours. Don't try to use that old synthesizer that they use in the original. Don't try to use that two-guitar bass drum setup as the original. Use your stuff. Well, it depends, though, because you have to respect it in some cases, especially it's a learning tool for, for most people. For most bands, as they're starting out, I mean, you know, when you have had very little experience making music yourself, often you can't just start off with something great right off the bat. So it's really, really helpful, just from a musical standpoint, to go back and learn songs that existed before your time hopefully things that you love and then you do kind of end up playing them uh verbatim to begin uh, with but then yeah, you slowly like the, tweak it as you but as yeah, you go joke, the joke of stairway to heaven everybody always requests that during every concert stairway to heaven play stairway to heaven yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. freebird or freebird I never want to hear Stairway having a free word at any concert I've been to. I'll be quiet. But to that no, effect, I love those songs, but that's exactly why I don't want to hear them at any concert I've been to. But to that effect, <laughs> you know, I've seen plenty of bands play covers. And for example, a friend of the show, The Wasties, play a lot of covers. The difference is, though, is they have a sis- distinct feel and style of Celtish. The oh. ish is because they're, they're sort of Celtic. But when they play songs, they do make them their own. The best example is Noam took Safety Dance, and now every time they play it, they say this is the oldest and most well-known Irish folk song. It's defined Irish folk. And then they play that song. But they make it sound like an Irish folk song, and that's why it gets a big laugh. And it, until he hits the chorus, they're still not quite sure what it is. So here's the thing. And I there, love that. There are tricks, just musical tricks that if you learn them once sometimes you don't even need to learn them i mean you don't need to apply them or work at them ever again Uh, for instance there's uh certain piano players that have made their their careers off of uh turning tracks into oh for instance like a ragtime oh play that song but play it in ragtime uh play that um play that old 50s song but make it a hip-hop riff you know 
they'll do these bizarre things right on the spot because they've learned the trick. They've learned how to adapt them. Once they do that once, if they're good improvisers, they can do it again and again and again and again and again. It's always going to uh, draw an audience. And one of the biggest places that does that is the uh, techno scene. I mean, forgetting the remixes that uh, musicians do of themselves in, yeah. in that, uh, you, you definitely see a lot of sometimes splicing, usually mashup style with using two or more songs in a, in a lot of cases. But they, it's, it's big. Turn it these old 1940s, 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, rock, hip-hop, pop, everything, and put it to a synth beat. And turn it into a synth beat. Here's a question for you. Where do you draw the line between a cover and a remix? So the difference is, a cover... Should it, have all the lyrics in the same Well, a re, uh, the thing is, is that a cover is new audio recorded. A remix is a mixing... Of original audio with new audio. There you are. It's either a remix of the new audio period or new audio with with original audio. For example, a lot of rap songs that remix, like Schaefer released a few for his Junk Drawer album. He took the original, the the singing, the lyrics, and the cadence of the lyrics was the original track, but the beat and everything else was something different or built on. Pretty common remix that I was hearing a couple of years ago was that track "Young Forever" spin on "Forever Young." Yes, 80s by track. Rod Stewart. Yeah, yeah, that was in like every '80s prom you can imagine. Yeah. Well, they wanted to make well. They can't relate to that 80s prom song anymore, so they, they they need to throw in a rapper over it in order to make it relatable to the modern generation, so it continue to be played in proms throughout now. And it's just, I don't know, that was a, that's a little bit, uh, but that's my issue with But that's with more sampling than, than, than covering. Yes, yes, I, there yes. Is, and that's, that's a critique of mine. There is, I have seen it, and that is in the whole, and it's they're called remixes, but it is people doing original yeah. recordings of vocal work of old songs with techno. Remixes incorporate sampling, so yeah, yeah. But these, I mean, but these, no, 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 these are called remixes in the techno scene, and they don't have any of the original music's sounds. Well, then they're just wrong. Then they're actually covers. They sound like covers, yeah. I mean, I've but heard they, them, they're but called remixes like because no. you, you don't call anything in techno a cover. Well, at least I got that distinction down. <laughs> yes, good to know. <laughs> and we've learned something, so it's been educational as well. <laughs> Believe it or not, and uh, in any case. There's um, I it's mean, a fine line to walk in any way that you start taking a previous artist work. That's yes. what it boils down to. You have to have a clear vision of what you're going, of what they intended, and what you're going to attend. You know, often it boils down, especially with the homage thing. It boils down to like the respect, the respect you have for the original artist. But then there are cases where I sometimes I think, uh, granted, I I suspect that's not the case with today's album, uh. I think that he was a legitimate fan of of, of most of these bands here, yeah. most of these tracks, and at least at least if nothing else, the lyrics themselves. Right. And yet, my take on it, my experience with it, when listening to the originals against uh, most of their own, most of his own, were yeah. was completely opposite. Like it yeah. almost seems I if I didn't know better, if I didn't know, uh, um, if I didn't gauge Mark Kozlek's personality if I think I can better then I would have expected that maybe it's it's a slam you know a slam against the original artist but to say oh well here's the lyrics you wrote and that crappy song you wrote well guess what I just bested you and I are, there are artists out there that do it I don't think this is a particular case no. but with my experience here I would almost think <laughs> it could be but think I think that the way it's presented d- d- disproves that theory yeah 
but I still think like all right maybe that's maybe that's no, a lack no, of respect. There's too much care given in both placement and choices on so much of this that you can. I don't you think can't, yeah. you can't I don't make think that it's a sort slam of right, right. I already agree yeah. pretty much, but I still think in in a case that is a slam, would you would you see that in a positive light or not? No. Um, no. Yes. Yes. I would. I agree with Matt. I don't know. It's it's a self expression. When it comes down to that's it, it's it. your self expression. So well, that's gonna actually at that point, I'm First gonna actually make it personal taste. And if they slam someone that I have a lot of respect for, I would definitely feel bad. But that's that would that would actually be a different. judgment call. That's that not be the a, same thing. That would be a full personal taste judgment call. Yeah, in that yeah case. absolutely. All right. Often it doesn't happen because well, if you make your intentions known that you're going to slam someone, you usually won't get the rights to it and whatnot. Well, but, that uh, and you uh, usually speak up fairly quickly. Well, in, actually, in no, songs. that one has nothing to do with the other. Because if you cover a track, they get paid. So they just want to get paid. Doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, that's true. And often, well, you know, you often see in uh, celebrity gossip and Twitter feeds and everything, oh, that this artist is mad at this artist for because you covered my and I didn't like the way you covered it, or I didn't like the fact that you covered it. You didn't ask me to cover it, like. They get really snippy about this well, kind of thing. Yeah, they used but to just lo- shoot each other. A lot of times, I feel they tweet. A lot of times, I feel it's just celebrity gossip and Probably. maybe to some extent staged. Uh, well, yeah. That's a conversation for another time. Um, uh, wrapping up and in closing, before I get to uh, our next week agenda, um, do you have a spam for us this week, Steve? I do have a spam for us. Spam, spam, spam. Spam, 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 bam, bam, bam. 437,254. Uh, 63,000, uh, excuse me, 636,700. You. No, Instead no. of simply questioning that, actually, no, I, I, I beg to differ. I think we're going backwards. I think that this is an example of less sentience because it's sheer numerical code and, and input. Probably means While something. the previous one was all question marks, which means it was questioning itself. And that is really the ultimate of sentience right there when you begin to establish self awareness. And on that note, let's get into next week. So, next week we have a guest. Um, it is the return of Nelson Lugo. Bum, bum, bum. Hopefully, here since episode 19. So, so hopefully, listen to him. <laughs> hopefully, John doesn't get sick this time. But And, and we have good news. And like, his album that he's chosen, which bringing, John is shaking. He's bringing. He's bringing. Steam Powered Giraffe's new record that just came out this week as this podcast drops. M, uh, MK3 or Mark 3. Drops. <laughs> They're keeping their theme work of album one, two Sencho, Mark 3. I yeah. like it. They're numbering them. Now uh, we know the order. But Steam Power Giraffe is coming back. Yay. So we have a new record. We started with them in January. We're Yay. closing with them in December. So check us out next week um, when we have Nelson Lugo on as a uh, second time. That is a nice wraparound. It is. It is a nice wraparound. And uh, on that shocking note, music is life. And life is good. Drop this podcast.